And one question that I hear all the time is, you know, if this whole gospel was true, if God were true, then why didn't he make it more obvious? Why didn't he just like, you know, an etch-a-sketch in the sky, you know, just draw it out. This is why these bad things happen to you. I'm here. I love you. Why didn't he just send an earthquake, drop leaflets down, whatever? And Jesus helps us here. He says, I am teaching in the crowds. I am teaching. We have a scene here where there's probably just like one possible location off the lake here. And it's also um, where a bunch of other scenes happen in the New Testament. And Jesus is out, we learn in Matthew, and he's out on a boat because there's so many people listening to him. And he can get some nice little reverb. He didn't need the PA system. And I don't either. I'm the last one here and needs the PA system, but we record it. <laughs> So people can listen to it. And he shares this story about a farmer and these soils. And if you read it real quick, you think, well, or if you grew up in church, you think, well, I kind of know what these things are. But when he did this, he did only the first part. <laughs> You have to try to imagine what it would be like to hear Jesus, this guy we knew was healing people, who rose people from the dead, who touched lepers, right, and made them clean and whole. And then he gets out on a boat, and there's a crowd, and he talks about a bunch of different soils and a bunch of produce, and then he drops the mic, and everybody's like, what is he talking about? Why doesn't God make it clear? He teaches in what are called parables. And Jesus takes everyday pictures, and for the people he was speaking to, they were farmers. And what he was talking about was something that they experienced every day. You take seed, you go out, you scatter it. Sometimes the bird gets the seed. Sometimes it seems like it's growing up real fast. Sometimes it gets in, gets good ground. Sometimes it gets in and thorns and weeds and everything else chokes it out. And he forces these farmers to take what they saw every day and to ask questions. It, these parables force these people into a situation where they have to go to him. In fact, Jesus' own followers who had been following him around and they left their family, they had to ask him, what does this mean? And that's the point. You are the student. Jesus is the teacher. You see, there's all kinds of assumptions there when, you know, I'm talking to somebody and, and they're saying, it should just be obvious. And one of those assumptions is that I am worthy of an explanation of the universe. <laughs> I am worthy of knowing how, why everything's working the way it works. And that if it were true, it would be easy and simple and I'd grasp it. But isn't it a lot more likely that actually 
given everything else you know about yourself, <laughs> you'd probably be in the dark <laughs> about the biggest questions of life. Like, I don't even know why I have the winter-long bronchitis, let alone why <laughs> people live and die and why God created the world, right? We, we don't know how to stop a sneeze. <laughs> We are the students. He is the master. You know, when we talk to people, you know, in our homes, on our steps, at, you know, work, wherever, on the street, you know, what do we do? We share our story. We talk about things from the limited position that we have. You know, we say, I don't know about for you, but I know this is what this is what this means to me. This is why I go to church. This is why I pray. This is why I have hope. But Jesus' teaching is not like that. We, we Remember a few weeks ago, I was preaching when we opened up and we talked about how Jesus doesn't teach like the scribes. He teaches with authority. And there's a difference between you telling my kid not to run in church and me telling my kid not to run in church. Because I can impose consequences that you can't. And when Jesus teaches, he is relating to us in a completely different way than just some philosopher who's just like an equal with you and just like, let's look at the stars and like, let's just imagine what truth is. He says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Cannot keep Jesus at arm's length. Parables aren't like that. Sermons aren't like that. Church is not like that. I have a special weight on me, a responsibility to get this right and to not be reckless. And I always tell the, 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 the guys that we have come up here and preach every once in a while, listen, you've got to own it. There has to be some swagger when you're up here because this is the most important 30 to 40 minutes of their week. You're sharing the word of God. This isn't like consider this. It might be true. No, this is like this is the way out. I need you to agree with me. You are in trouble. You are sick with sin, but Jesus can heal you. He's the way out. At some point, we all have to meet Jesus on his terms. And parables force us to come to him as students. To say, listen, Lord Jesus, I hear, but I don't understand. Help me understand. He is the teacher. You are the student. May the Holy Spirit turn on the lights. Historically, we call that work of the Holy Spirit illumination where we read God's word, we, we look at God's truth, and something happens where the lights get turned on. <laughs> you ever been robbed? You ever come in the house, and you can't open the door, and there's no lights, you can't get to the lights, and, and you, you, the door is like jammed up because something got knocked over on the door? It's not a fun experience. <laughs> and that's how we walk through life. 
That's how we walk into God's word. We hear the words of the preacher. We read the words from the Bible. But unless the Holy Spirit turns on the light and picks up the bureau and moves it aside so we can actually walk in the room, we're in the dark. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would move the bureau out of the way and turn on the lights so we can see for real our situation and we can see the situation with the Lord. I'm going to read for us again this word. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And this is a good thing for you. There's an app that I love to, to walk with people through. It's called YouVersion. You can get it on your phone. And you can get every, like, a ton of translations. You can get them in all types of languages. But you can also get a lot of different translations in English. And sometimes it's helpful to look at different ways of putting the Word of God. And so I want to read just the second portion, just for the sake of time, Jesus' explanation of the parable. He says, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all other parables? The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to others. The seed fell on the footpath. Represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Let her or him who has ears let them hear. So what do we have? We have the sower, we have the seed, and we have the soil. And we see that ultimately the sower is Jesus himself. Jesus himself is going around, right, and he's sowing the word. He, he's, he's literally scattering the word around, which just means he's opening up his mouth and he's declaring the word of God. But it's not just Jesus, right? We get drafted into the cause. We, you and I, we become sowers of the word. We get to scatter this seed around just alongside with him, amen? We get to share the truth of the gospel with people. And then we see the seed. And the seed is the word of God. But what word? And this is really important. In all four Gospels, the word is the same. The word that Jesus is talking about is the word of the good news of the kingdom, which is repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, because the king is here. See, you don't get just to change what the word is. The sower changes and the soil changes. 
But the seed never changes. The people preaching the gospel change, and the people who receive the gospel change. But the gospel never, ever changes. Do you hear me? So like, one of the issues that we see and we look at the towns like Gloucester and we can look around neighboring towns is we see some churches here and they are sowing the word, but they're sowing the word for a soil that existed 50 years ago. But this is what we don't get to touch. We don't get to change the seed, you know? And what has happened is, is that we have seen this happen where the word, which was a message of repentance, becomes a message of relief. A word that is a message of self-denial, take up your cross, follow me, becomes a word of fulfill your personal destiny. You're awesome. God wants you to be awesome. The word of, you know, you need to have allegiance to Jesus alone becomes a message that if you sing the right way, pray the right way, dance, tithe, give, show up, do X, Y, and Z, then God's going to bless you. And last week, you know, we had four or five people up here. We prayed for every single person in the church for healing in their lives. And God is a healer of people's bodies and their souls. And we can't say that enough. But let me ask you tonight. Do you, well, Christmas time's coming up, right? Do you want God's presence? Presence, like those things that go under the tree? Or do you want his presence? His being near you? Because what happens is, is that we think that God's presence, his gifts, are greater than him, the giver. We're like the woman who got the nice shiny rock, right? We were proposed to, and we're looking at our finger, and all of a sudden we forget about our fiance. <laughs> I mean, that's how we are. I want to be healthy. I want to just get to the next part of life. I want to just move past the struggle that I'm in right now. And listen, the gospel, the word, we don't get to change it. We don't get to, oh, it's a word in season and it means you're going to be blessed 30, 60, 100 fold. That is not what Jesus is talking about. The word is always repent. Rearrange your life. Straighten up your life. Make way for Jesus the king. That's always the word. I mean, only when you see that your trials have been fewer than your sins, only when you see that your need for forgiveness is greater than your need for anything else in life, that you're going to start moving in the right direction. When you see your need for forgiveness is greater than your need for water, greater than your need for oxygen. Last, uh, a couple weeks ago, Chris Yuki, a brother, he preached about how this paralytic, this guy who couldn't walk, 
his friends actually were super aggressive, right? And what do they do? They, they knocked a hole in the roof of somebody's house and they lowered this guy down right in front of Jesus. That's pretty bold. And what does Jesus do? Yeah, he forgives. I mean, he heals the guy, but you know what else he does? He forgives him of his sins. There's something miss, missing. There's a disconnect with us. Because we're like, wow, Jesus healed the guy. And what we need to understand is that the thing is, is that when you sin, the one that you sin against the most is not your family, it's not the person, it's the one who made you. And the greatest miracle that you can experience in this life is for God to look at you and to be happy with you, to not see your sin anymore. That's the greatest miracle you can experience. The seed is a word. It becomes so much more than that. Listen, an eight-year-old girl and that same eight-year-old girl as a 25-year-old woman are two different things, right? They're, they're not the same thing. How much more? A little acorn. Everybody can imagine an acorn. Like hold it in my hand like this. Is not the same thing as an oak tree. But you got to start with the acorn <laughs> before you can get to the oak. If, if we don't start with this word that Jesus is king, that we need to repent, that we need to change our minds, change our direction, change our ways, start over with God, then we've started this whole thing wrong. Um, you know, listen, I'll just give a public service announcement. If you're in a relationship with somebody um, and you are able to put together one of those Ikea furniture things and not, you know, curse a lot. You're, you're really on your way. You're growing spiritually. Congratulations. You have advanced beyond my own spiritual maturity. I remember when we were first, when I first got married, you know, we would get the, the furniture and um, there are just certain things. I'm like a like people who know me think like I'm really patient, but there's just certain things that like trigger me like crazy. And, and putting furniture together with my wife is, is one of those things, you know? And I was like, I don't know how we didn't get divorced. You know what I mean? It was like so brutal. And you know what happens is you get the instructions, and the instructions don't even have words. Like, come on. It's just these symbols. It's the most ridiculous thing. And if you start and you put the wrong leg on the wrong way, or if you start wrong, You'll just keep going. And then while you're like three quarters done and you're looking at it and you're looking back and you're like, that does not look right. <laughs> and you've got to completely take the whole thing apart and start over. You can't start your relationship with God on the wrong foot. Sometimes we need to go back and we need to undo all that we've done and we need to go back to the word of God, which is repent and believe 
the gospel. Repent, the kingdom of God is here. Now, the, the seed is you. You personally respond to this word that you need to submit to Jesus and turn from your sin. But there are branches once that acorn turns into an oak, right? There's going to be branches that hold up and support things that we care about that are right in line with the gospel, like racial reconciliation, like healing of your body, like you know, justice in this world, all of those things. But it all has to start with this word of Jesus. Repent and believe. The thing is, the seed is not enough. I said before, there's nothing wrong with the seed. We got the, the thing that's wrong, right, is, is us, the, the sower and the soil and all that. But it's not enough in the sense that, you know, when, when, when God made man, God made him good, but then he said, you know, it's not good that he's alone. <laughs> and, and the seed is incomplete. I gave uh, Pastor Steve, who preached last week, you know, one thing I didn't tell you if you were here and you heard him preach, he's the man who led me to Jesus. He's the man who, when I was like depressed and suicidal and lost and into you know, Druidism, the occult, and atheism, and yeah, you can be confused and be into multiple contradictory things at the same time. Anyway, <laughs> when I was into all that, he, you know what I mean? God used him to draw me out of that darkness, and when I left his church, I got to serve with him for about five years. I gave him a little jar, a little glass jar, and it had mustard seeds in it. They're tiny. I gave it to him to remind him who he was. He is a seed sower <laughs> but here's the thing that's great and symbolic and all but if you want actual mustard trees you got to plant those seeds in the soil <laughs> right like you got to share the word you, you got to invite people to church you, you got to expose them to the gospel expose them to Jesus I remember when I was living in Africa um, we, we got the honor of living there for five years. And when it was dry season, it went from, like, you could get 20 different vegetables to, like, three. And, and it went from, like, being easy to breathe to, like, you can't breathe and there's dust on everything, everywhere. It went from green to dead gray. And the three things you could buy were 20 times more expensive. And you really had a sense that, look, we are at the, the, the mercy of nature. And behind that, we are at the mercy of God. And so when we look at this parable in the first century, when Jesus is speaking, they would have understood the sun drying up. They would have understood that all they could do is faithfully scatter the seed. But they were very, very limited on what the sun was going to do and what the rain was going to do. We see these different soils. And Jesus explains to us what they are. He talks about the hard heart, right? He talks about the seed, what is it, land where? Like where people walk. There's usually like stones there, and there's a pathway. 
And what happens? The seed lands there, and what happens to the seed? You remember? Yeah, birds come. You know what I mean? And what are the birds? Right. The devil, Satan, just picks it right up. Doesn't even go in. And you know what's really horrible is that that it's often someone sitting right in church every single week that can be that impenetrable soil, (laughs) that can be that hard soil where it's like, I'm here, but like, and I I want God to do stuff for me, and I'm trying, but like, they really, the the word is not really going into the soil. (laughs) It's just right on the surface. And then Jesus talks about the shallow heart. And uh, I'm sorry if you feel personally attacked if you told me this, <laughs> but um, I can't tell you how many times. If I had a dollar for every single time somebody said, after they visited church once, I will be here every week, Pastor. I love it. <laughs> we would have enough money, you know, to buy our church building. <laughs> Fundraiser done. We're moving on. I mean, it's, it's literally not a month where that doesn't happen several times. And, 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 and you know what happens to the vast majority of people who say that? It's the only time you've ever seen them. <laughs> they come the one week. They love it. I'm going to be here every week. What happened? The seed fell in the shallow soil. It didn't have deep roots. The sun came out. They were excited Sunday. And then Monday at 10 (laughs) o'clock, it all fell apart. The wheels came off the car, right? The root of God's word has to go deep in your soul. We've baptized people who, after baptizing them, it was the last day we saw them. And I want you to know, this is like for us here that are coming um, and are faithful and are serving. I thank God for you. Um, I want you to know, guess what? We are never going to stop taking chances on people. And when someone comes and they profess faith and they're hanging around and we're loving them and they're hungry we're going to pour some water on them too when Jesus when, when, the, when the apostles when the apostle Peter preached and it said thousands came right <laughs> and they were pierced the heart how many of them stayed on with the whole thing and were like you know builders of the community I don't know but I'm pretty sure that their experience was like Jesus' own experience and what he was telling his disciples it would be like, that some of them were hard soil and some of them were shallow soil. And we continue to take chances. Let me, let me share this word I came across when I was preparing for this message from one of the greatest preachers that ever preached in the English language, like one of the best ones who ever did it. It's from like it's from like a hundred years ago. His name is C. H. Spurgeon. Definitely worth your time. <laughs> he says this. He says, "Now the preacher of the gospel is like the sower. He doesn't make his seed. The seed is given to him by his master. It would not be possible for a man to make the smallest seed." 
that even germinated upon the earth, much less a celestial seed of eternal life. The minister goes to his master in secret and asks him to teach him his truth, and thus he fills his basket with the good seed of the kingdom. What the minister has to do is go forth in his master's name and scatter precious truth. If he knew where the best soil was to be found, perhaps he might limit himself to that which had been prepared by the plow of conviction. But no, not knowing men's hearts, by the way, I don't know people's hearts, right? I don't know who's going to respond, and neither do you. It is his business to preach the gospel to every creature to throw a handful on the hardened heart over there and another handful on the overgrown heart over there, which is full of cares and riches and pleasures of this world. He has to leave the fate of the seed in the care of the master who gave it to him. For well, he understands that he is not responsible for the harvest. He is only responsible for the care, fidelity, and industry in which he scatters the seed right and left with both hands. Did you hear what I'm saying? You are not responsible for the response that people give, but you are responsible to share the word of God with people in your life. And like both hands, all right? <laughs> not like one day a week when I schedule it in, like load it up all the time, both hands, sharing the word of God. You don't know who's going to respond. And it's not your responsibility who responds, but it is your responsibility to share the word. I remember Pastor Doug. He's our sending pastor. He, he planted us out of Camden. He used to talk about, you need to go on the bus route. When you share the gospel, it's like being a bus driver. You stop at all the bus stops. There's not always people there to pick up. But you make your run every day. You start at 9 o'clock and you finish at 5 o'clock. You can't force anybody in the bus. <laughs> but what has happened? Let's be honest. You get a little discouraged? We stop running the route. <laughs> Amen? And so we have a shallow heart. And we got the crowded heart. And we've all seen people who, whose fire, whose zeal was choked out by the worries and cares of this life. I mean, and it can be the, honestly, the dumbest things. <laughs> it really can be the dumbest things. I, I remember there was a friend of mine. She was um, just on fire. She was really, you know, serving, incredibly active. And um, she, got into, she got into roller derby. And, uh, like, no big deal. Like, nothing sinful about roller derby. There's a lot worse you could do. Trust me. You all know. <laughs> you know, but she gets into roller derby, and, um, and it's like, all of a sudden, she finds, I think, a group of people who, you know, for whatever reason, up until that point in the church, she, she had been projecting, like, uh, like a image of herself that was better than it was. Um, she didn't feel like she could be real. She didn't feel like she could be honest. Now she had a group of people she could. 
And it wasn't by, it wasn't by feet or yards, but it was by inch and by inch. She just became more and more about roller derby <laughs> and was less and less available. Until you fast forward five years and she's nowhere with Jesus. I knew a guy who used to go down and coach kids in North Philadelphia and huge heart. And he started a extension on his house, um, like a rec room. Again, there are worse things you can do <laughs> than build an extension on your house, <laughs> you know? And um, we deal with them every day. <laughs> And it's not in and of itself sinful to do that. But you can kind of see what, where that's going. Um, all of a sudden, he couldn't be in the league for one season. We've got to focus on this. He tried to get back into it. Fast forward some years. Maybe he goes to church once a month. When his whole entire life and all his joy, Right? was centered around serving others and scattering the word. Everyone who follows Jesus has to give up stuff. I remember Steve, the one who preached last week, he used to tell me this story about how he was sitting and having lunch with some people in seminary, and he was saying to these folks that he didn't know, they were from Africa, he was like, you know, I had this Mustang convertible, and I sold it so I could go into seminary. And that was his, like, bragging, like, I gave up something for Jesus. And then he was humbled immediately after that because one of the guys sitting with them at lunch was like, I have left my wife and six kids for three years to go to seminary. <laughs> Everyone, though, gives up something to follow Jesus. So we've come now to the good soil. Amen. We've come to the good soil. And the question is, if not, and I say this all the time, it's not, are you going to love him perfectly, but are you going to keep loving him? Do you love him at all? What is and who is the good soil in the New Testament? Well, you got people who follow Jesus like Jude, who would have had the make Israel great again, red hat on. He was a zealot. He wanted Rome out. He was a nationalist. He hated everybody that wasn't Jewish. You had other people. You had fishermen with calluses on their hands. You had prostitutes, right, who were, came alongside and were cooking Jesus' meals and had changed their life. You had poor people. You had all a really crazy group. You had politicians and people like Levi who were traitors and were selling out their people and corrupt and taking too much taxes. And all this motley crew of people were Jesus' followers. And you guess what? They were the good soil. If you have ears to hear, the good soil are people who know they're blind people who know they're sick, people who know they're poor. The good soil, it turns out, are bad people. Now, some of you 
And I don't want to pick on you, but some of you, when you have your family get-togethers, you might not even be a part of those get-togethers, and you're like the bad guy in the story of the family get-together. And guess what? You're in the right spot. The good soil is bad people. And God changes us. And he transforms us. Amen? So let's scatter the word. We don't know who's going to be the good soil. We don't know, you know, how to do this, how it's going to work out. But we live our lives before others. We rearrange our lives. And, and, and listen, I am calling you guys to, to pull out of your needs a little bit, to scatter some seed with me, to pull out of your family stuff a little bit, to scatter some seed, to scatter the word of God, pull out of a little bit of your personal dreams. Like, you might be like, I wish I could be at the spot where I could dream of having a, an extension on my house. I just like build a wing. That would be really cool. I'm saying some of you have lame dreams, Right? Like some of your dreams are like, I hope I don't smoke crack this week. Some of your dreams are like, I hope I don't lose my S-H-I-T at my family or the person I'm working with this week. And I'm saying, look, if you shoot that low, you're not even going to make it that low. But I'm saying, come with us and change Gloucester City together. Amen. I'm saying scatter the word. There's so much more. There was this guy, Francis Xavier. He went over to Japan and he wrote a letter back to some of his friends that he had started this society of Jesus with. And he said, listen, give up your small ambitions and come east. Now he knew that meant that a good chunk of them were just going to die before they even got there. They die on the boat. They die of sickness. What you're trying to do with your life kind of sucks and is lame. But Jesus is saying, come get into my tornado. I want to love people. I want to share the gospel with people. I want to see people being built from the ground up. And let's praise God. Can we just say, can we praise God? There are families, right, who are like, I want to be here. There's a family that sits up here all the time right? And um, RJ and Jen, right? They're like, I'm sitting outside the, uh, the, the, that building that Lord willing we're going to buy and renovate. And you know what he says to me? He says, we're moving to Gloucester City from Pine Hill. We want to build this community from the ground up. There's another sister here, Leela Hood. She's like, we want to build this community from the ground up. We got the Yukis. They're like trying to sell their house. Like, we want to build this community. Our lives ain't straight. Our lives ain't perfect, <laughs> but we know that the good soil is bad people, and praise God. We can admit that's us. We need to be forgiven people. We need to be transformed people. And listen, we don't stay dirt. We, don't, we start as dirt, but that seed comes, and it's, the whole situation changes. And that seed, that acorn becomes an oak tree. And we become oaks of righteousness. And you and I become the aunt and uncle, dad and mother, brother and sister that the people around us desperately need. When Jesus told this story, the shocking part wasn't all the unfruitfulness and the first three soils. 
The shocking part was the 30, 60, and 100-fold return. Those are not normal returns. But we know that some of you in this room are 30. Some of you in this room are 60. Some of you in this room are 100. You might not see that right now because you feel like you're like in the dirt and you can't even see the light. But be patient. Keep sucking up that rain and that sun. Stay faithful and God will use you. Amen. Amen.